everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Join Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy, even in infertility. Today, I'm interviewing Alicia Kearns. You may have heard of her. She's the blogger behind Waiting for Baby Bird. Her ministry reaches tens of thousands of women across the world. We broke our conversation up into two parts, though. Part one, you're going to hear all about her adopted daughter and how even though that was never her plan, God clearly orchestrated it all to happen. It's a really cool story. She also shares about being diagnosed with PCOS and the toll that that played on her body and her spirit. Not only is God using her, though, to work in women's lives across the globe, God has done some pretty amazing things in her heart as well through this journey. She is not the same person that she was when she started. And I thought, you know what? It's not about my abilities. It's not about what my eggs can do. It's not about what my body can do. It's all about what God can do. And if God wants to do it and God says it, then it's as good as done. So part two has already dropped, and in it you're going to hear more about how her ministry was born and just some really powerful things that have helped her get to the place that she is today. Spoiler alert, Alicia has never had a child naturally, but she refuses to give up hope. I know she's going to inspire you today to hold tight to your faith and stand on who God is no matter what. Let's get started. Hey, Alicia, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad we finally connected. We became internet friends, what, two, maybe two years ago? I think so. Yep. Two years ago. I I guess you said you found me on Instagram and then we just started talking about your blog and we did some giveaways and jewelry stuff with my my business, but I guess that's yes. how we found each other and we've been... Yeah. My followers love your necklaces. That's awesome. I love, well, they're the reasons why I started it was <laughs> was to encourage women walking in this in this journey. So, and I think that they also love buying from other women who are oh who yeah know the battle and and know the feelings and know the emotions. They're they're more willing to support. So yeah, totally. Well, tell us a little bit about your family. Um, my husband and I we have been married going on twelve years in August. Now <laughs> <laughs> that I've done the math, yes, we we, we figured that out. <laughs> And um, he was actually, a lot of people don't know this, but he was actually my sixth grade boyfriend. I used to live in Florida. And then um, we actually, my, my parents were born and raised in Southern Illinois. And we moved to Florida right before I started kindergarten. And then um, we moved back up to Southern Illinois so that my parents could be closer to their family. Because all of my grandparents and aunts and uncles, they all live here where I live. Mm-hmm currently in Southern Illinois. So right after my eighth grade year, they uprooted me and all the friends that I had known since kindergarten, since, you know, I was five and we moved, um, back up to Southern Illinois, but he was my sixth grade boyfriend and we didn't keep in contact or anything, you know, during high school or college, as far as boyfriend and girlfriend, we just kept in contact like every so often, you know, like back in the old school days where they had, Oh gosh, what was it called? MSN Messenger, AOL Messenger, yeah, MSN Yahoo or something. I don't even remember. But anyway, like anytime, like we would log in, you know, it'd be like, "Hey, how are you doing? You know, how's my old friends doing?" That's you know, I was trying to keep keep up with everybody. But it wasn't until the semester before I graduated college, I went to Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville by St. Louis. It wasn't until about the semester before, like I really, um, we really started talking. We got married six months later. So y'all didn't even live in the same town, like. No, he still lived in Florida the whole time. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we got to figure this out. We just discovered that you were from, you lived in Florida for a little while. And what part were you from? Um, I 
lived in a small town called Chiefland, which is right outside, it's like 45 minutes outside of, of Gainesville. And I lived and grew up in Lake City, Florida, which was 45 yeah. north, 45 minutes north of Gainesville. Yeah. And lived there till 2014. <laughs> so. Really? I bet we crossed paths then because yes. I used to, because right after I graduated college, because Daniel was still living in Florida because he was going to University of Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So, are too. He, oh my gosh. He's, he's an engineer. And so uh, he wasn't done graduating yet because my degree is social work. And apparently social work is not as hard as engineering. And so <laughs> after I graduated, I moved to Florida and that's when we got married. Like, like uh, my plan was as soon as I graduated, you know, going to Florida, we got married in the Virgin islands by ourselves. And, um, I lived there while he finished his, um, education. And I actually worked for, um, uh, the Department of Children and Family Services in which Lake I City? think was called Partnership for Strong Families. I, I don't know if you've yeah. Or did you, yeah. Was it in Lake City on so Bay Avenue? In, well, I, I, I worked in Stark, but occasionally I had oh, to drive to in. Lake City okay. a lot yeah. to see you know children or meetings or oh yeah, or whatever. I'm sure. So yeah, I'm Lake City's Lake not City. big. <laughs> so. No, not at all. <laughs> That's awesome. Small world, I guess. So you and your husband married twelve years. And yes. so tell us about your fertility journey so far. We do have an adopted daughter. Michaela, That's a whole right? other story. She is, her name is Michaela and she is seven. And um, like I said, I used to be a child welfare specialist. And I remember I would come home like every night at like 930 at night. And I would just, I would be eating over the sink, you know, because I'm coming home. I'm hungry. I'm tired. And I would say to my husband all the time, I was like, I will never be a foster parent and not because of anything other than they just go through so much. I mean, here I was leaving a foster parent's house at like eight 30 at night because I had to do, you know, my monthly visit and you know, mm. all the stress that they go through with the court hearings. I was just like, I will never be a foster parent, which I never say never because God right. will literally <laughs> laugh, you know, but, um, so, and I was going to keep up with that and we moved back up to Illinois in 2010 um, because he works for my uncle. My, my, my uncle is an engineer. And so he took a job with my uncle and I wanted to be closer to family anyway. And, and he wanted to crazy enough, leave Florida. He wanted to see seasons. He's yes. a hunter and a fisherman. It's and kind of a cool thing in the Midwest. Fun too. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, we, we moved up here to my small town of Carmine, Illinois. It's a town of like 5,000 people. And I was reading in the paper, there's a nonprofit organization called Baptist Children's Home here in, here in my hometown. And they were starting um, this nonprofit organization that was that was based out of Chicago called Safe Families for Children. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is, is a parent can call the Baptist Children's Home and request to have their child placed with a host family. So it's all voluntary. And like, maybe that parent is going through a crisis, like they just lost their job and they don't know where the food's going to come from, but they know that if the children stay with them and where it gets out that they don't have food, then DCFS will get called. Or maybe the parent is going through cancer treatments and they're just, and they have no, it's it's basically parents that don't have family or friend support or maybe family or friend support that they trust, Yeah, you know, Mm because sometimes that happens too. And so they can voluntarily call and it's a, a temporary thing. There's no court involved. There's no caseworkers involved. There's no child abuse or neglect that is supposed to be suspected or involved. It's just a parent saying, hey, I need help. 
I can't do this on my own. And so they come into the office and um, a host family, which is volunteer, would then take the child back to their house. And it could be for a week. It could be for three days. It could be for two months. It could be for three months. It could, you know, it's it's a contract that the parent signs. So the parent doesn't lose rights and a parent can pick that child up for dinner. At, you know, if they wanted to, and then bring them back, you know, it's like, a, it's, it's a Christ centered organization is what it is That's awesome. that just helps parents in crisis. It's like being that village for them. Like, yeah. Hey, I'll help you. Like, and, and you don't get money for it. Like the host family does not get compensated. So if that host family buys clothes, that host family bought clothes, you're voluntary, volunteering your time and your home and your food and everything. And I was reading it in the paper and I was like, this is perfect because there were so many times when I worked as a caseworker in Florida that I had so many moms, single moms on my caseload and they just didn't have family support. And the whole Mm. reason why they were even on my caseload was because they just got so far behind, whether in bills or for whatever reason that then it showed up as neglect, you know? So I was there as a caseworker to provide them services. And this is just what Safe Families was, was just like one step before it got to DCFS. It was like an intervention is kind of what it was. Yeah. I was like, Daniel, this is perfect. I don't want to be a foster parent because I don't want to have to deal with all that. But I would love to like, like we have rooms in our home. Like I would love to like let children come for a couple of weeks while their parents come on their feet, you know, and, and invite the parents to church if they don't attend church or take the children to church, you know, and that's kind of what it was. And so we signed up to do that. And, um, I think that was in 2012. Um, it was after, which I can get into that with the fertility story, but we had seen fertility specialists and I was kind of done with that for a little bit. And so this mm-hmm. was like something to do until I figured out what we were going to do. You know, I kind of keep me busy because I didn't work at the time. I was just a stay at home wife and bored. Okay. Uh, this was great. <laughs> so, cause I didn't have the blog. I didn't have anything like that going on. And, but we, we signed up for it. We had seven children in the two years that we did it come in and out of our, and Michaela, the, the child that we have now, ironically, um, she was supposed to stay with us for two weeks. And that was in 2014. Wow. And she was actually going to be our last child. We were going to be done with it. And I had actually been done with it. I hadn't taken any placements for up to six months. And one night on a Thursday night, I randomly checked an email that I hadn't checked probably since college. And there was an email that went out to like everybody saying that there was a family with three children and they had found a home for the boy because they live 45 minutes away and he was in school. And so he needed to stay in that district and they had found a home for him and they had found a home for her, um, older sister who was like a year and a half older than her, but they needed a home for her. And it didn't matter if she lived outside of that County because she was three, she wasn't attending school and her mom was fine with the children living separate. Cause it was only supposed to be for a couple of weeks. Right. And so I was like, eh. so I talked to Daniel about it. He's like, well, it's just two weeks. Let's go for it. Her mom actually needed a little bit more extra time. And she admitted that, um, that she wanted to go to drug rehab. Um, for alcohol abuse and prescription drugs. And so she had asked if we would voluntarily keep her longer. And so we agreed to do that. And so we were going to keep her until April because that's when she was going to be getting out of inpatient treatment. And then things just went south Mm -hmm. after she got out. And so um, it turned into a state thing where they had to call DCFS because the children were not going to be safe to return home. And it turned into here I was like we we got her in January of 2004. 14 and by August 2014 I'm standing in court for our first court date oh man and um the judge 
is, is has now determined that it's not going to be voluntary for these children to stay outside of home, that they're going to be court ordered, you know, to not return home. And of course they have to live in a state licensed foster care home, you know, being, being licensed foster takes months. Yeah. And she needed to go into a home now. And so what they did was in the state of Illinois, if the parent um, signs over and makes you a godparent, it's almost like you're blood related. Oh. Yeah. So right there in court, she made us godparents. Oh, so wow. technically we're relatives of wow. the family, even now to this day. And we're not relatives really. <laughs> but in the state of Illinois, we're considered relatives. So she was able to then just stay with us as if we were blood relatives and we just had to watch a couple of videos that night and that was it. Wow. Yeah. So that was in 2014. Yes. And then we, she finally, um, she's now been adopted. She was adopted July 7th of last year, 2017. So it was, I, people would always ask me, you know, like, Oh, you know, that's so crazy. Cause a lot of people think that we signed up to be foster parents yeah. and you know, this, like, no, like, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, it's a good thing. My background was casework. Otherwise I, I mean, I already felt like I was like, people ask me, well, how do you feel? I, I feel like I'm in the spin cycle of a washing machine. Like everything was happening so fast and I couldn't get out. I couldn't do any, like, I didn't know what to do, but it was a good thing that I had a background in it because I knew the terminology. I knew what would happen next. Um, I knew how things would go. And so it was just a whirlwind. Um, mom had actually signed over her rights, um, in October of 2015. Oh, wow. Because she knew that she could not provide the life that she deserved. We write letters back and forth. Um, Michaela actually saw her for the first time um, at Christmas time. What a story. So, yeah. He knew and uh, he took the reins. Wow. So. so you hinted at it, but you guys don't have kids naturally. No, so tell not, us about that. Um, well, right after we got married, um, I went on birth control. So I took that from August until January. And um, like I said, Daniel was still going to college and I had just, um, you know, had my job as, as, as a caseworker and I just still felt like I was new to the world and I didn't know how insurance worked and I didn't even know how to like find a doctor. My mom had always done all that. You know, I'd had the doc- same doctor forever. And so I, I told Daniel that I didn't want to go to the doctor to get a refill of my birth control because I'd have to find one. I don't know how insurance works. We don't have a lot of money, you know, and he was terrified of having a child because we lived in an apartment that was 475 square feet. And, um, and so he was terrified. <laughs> it's, it's funny to laugh about now. Like he was terrified we were going to get pregnant. Like the first month I was off my birth control. But, um, right after I got off my birth control, things started happening to my body, like really quick. Like I'd always been super tall and super skinny. Like Daniel growing up, my, my nickname was olive oil from Popeye. Cause I was mm-hmm. just tall and lanky and, Right after I got off birth control, I didn't start a period, and by March, so I got off in January, by the beginning of March, I had gained 20 pounds. Oh, and I wow. thought, what in the world? Like, I couldn't gain weight usually to save my life, and I was like, well, maybe it's just too much hamburger helper. Maybe it's too much, you know, stress from the job, and I started getting really bad, like, cystic acne, not just, like, a pimple, but those deep red ones that, mm-hmm. like, took over, like, half your face. Yeah. I was getting them, like, two or three times a week. I was sweating all the time, and I never sweat, and I just, I kind of just chopped it up to stress. And, and everything else. And no matter what I did, I couldn't lose the weight. It just kept piling on. And it wasn't until, um, I was home from work one day and I was watching Oprah back when Oprah was on TV yes. and Dr. Oz was a special guest, you know, before Dr. Oz had his own 
television show now, but he was talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome and he was talking about all the signs and symptoms and I had every single one. So I basically self-diagnosed myself before Google. I think polycystic ovarian syndrome and I started researching it and trying to figure out how to combat it. And I ended up losing all that weight and I felt comfortable at that point going to an OBGYN for some mm-hmm. reason I just felt older, more mature, and I lost all the weight, you know, type of a thing. And I went to the doctor, um, and, uh, he asked me about my symptoms because I told him what I thought I had. And, and, uh, he asked me how long I'd been married and if we used protection and we had never, since that time, we had never even really used protection. And okay. I was like, no, we haven't. And it had been like three or four years. He, and he looked at me, he goes, and you don't have like five kids right now. I'm like, no, that's kind of why I'm here. That's kind of what I'm telling you. Like, I don't want kids right now. I'm just telling you, I think something's wrong. <laughs> and so his, his solution without doing in uh, like an actual, like vaginal ultrasound exam to look at my ovaries or anything, he just kind of figured that that's what it was. And he put me on birth control, um, to try to maybe reset my hormones. Mm. And, um, that's kind of from what my research, a lot, a lot of doctors still do it. It's kind of a myth. It did not reset my hormones. If anything, when I got off the birth control again, my weight spiked up again, everything went crazy again. And, and at that point I had things under control and then he put me on birth control. And then when I got off, we're back to out of control and I have not been able to get in control really since then. But, um, this was in Gainesville. And then we moved probably two months after that back up to Evansville. And one of my family members, she has, uh, her, her grandma is an OBGYN and she recommended that I go see her because the birth control was just making me feel really off. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the way it made me feel. She's like, well, go see, you know, my grandma, you need a doctor anyway. And so I went, I told her my symptoms. I told her my history and she did a vaginal ultrasound and she did all the blood work. And, uh, I didn't know what <laughs> I didn't know what a vaginal ultrasound was. And so I went for my appointment. I thought like, so I mean, I, I thought it was weird that they handed me a gown and I needed to get like uh-huh. basically naked. I was like, this is weird. This isn't what they show in the movies, you know? <laughs> so I went ahead and I changed my clothes. I laid on the table and I'm on my, my heart was pounding. Cause this is probably like the second time I've ever in my life been examined. I'm like 26 at the time. And, uh, she pulled out this Bob Barker wand. It looks like, like a bat the first like, time you no, see no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I sat straight up on the table. I was like, what is that? And she goes, honey, it was the nurse. She goes, honey, do you know why you're here? I was like, yeah, jelly on the belly, like an ultrasound. <laughs> she goes, she turned on the light and she goes, we need to have a talk, sweetheart. Oh my <laughs> and that's when I learned what a vaginal ultrasound was. Yeah. Very um, different. Very different. <laughs> yeah. It's not jelly on the belly. So I, I did that. And then I went back for my appointment like a week later and, um, I wasn't in an exam room or anything. I was in her actual office and it was like low lighting and it's, it's Dr. Ramsey and she's a sweet, sweet woman. And she pulled out my file and I might, I might cry thinking about it because I was expecting that she put her hand on top of my hand and she opened up the file and she started counting on one over. She's like one, two, three, four. And like, I think she's like, I finally just like checked out at like 11 and we're only on one ovary. Mm. And this is how many cysts that I have. Wow. And she just kept going. And then she went over to the left one. And, and it was way more than that. And she's like, Alicia, she's like, if you didn't want children, I would just say, we need to just take these out. 
she's like, there's so many cysts, which is what polycystic ovarian syndrome is. Like the egg doesn't mature. And so it just kind of sits on your ovaries. She's like, you don't ovulate. Um, so all of these eggs for so many years, even when I was having a period or I thought it, you know, like I was in college and stuff, she goes, chances are you were never ovulating because you can have a period without ovulation. Mm. And so I have all these old eggs and she goes, so if a new egg even wants to come out to try to mature, it can't like bust through. Mm. And so she was, she was like, um, she goes, you don't have much time. And she, she immediately passed on, you know, some, some RE, the fertility specialist that they have there in the hospital. She passed on these pamphlets. And like at that point, Dana hadn't even like started trying as far as like yeah. timing or doing those ovulation prediction kits. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, I was like, can we try naturally first? And she's like, I don't think that that's going to benefit you any. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you're 26, 27. And she goes, I just don't see this happening naturally. She's like, but if that makes you feel better, she goes, I give you like, cause this was in in the summer, May or whatever. She goes, I'll, I'll give you to October. She goes, but if you're not pregnant by October, she goes, I want you to come back to me and I want you to make this appointment with mm-hmm. a specialist. And so, um, we tried sort of not trying cause we were also in the midst of moving to a home around that time. So it was kind of stressful. And, uh, October came up and I wasn't, I wasn't pregnant. And so I went ahead and made an appointment and I waited until my insurance started over for that January. And so my first um, well, we had the appointment with the RE in October and Dino did a semen analysis and he, I remember that phone call. I was, I was relieved, but at the same time, I kind of I didn't like all the pressure on me, but the nurse called and she's like, wow. She's like, your husband's great. He's, she's, I can't remember the actual number. It was like 4 billion or something like oh that. My gosh. But she was like, he has got a strong army of swimmers. She's like, there's just, and I was like, oh, Awesome. Okay. <laughs> so he's pretty proud of himself, but I, you know, I'm like, well, that was years ago, son. It may have changed. <laughs> They're dying off every day. Strong army and soul swimmers. I'm like, well, they ain't strong enough. But um, so anyway, that was October, but we waited until January before we started. Mm-hmm. And in January, um, as far as like the medication and everything, we we started with time dinner course, and we did that for a few cycles. The first cycle, I um, I only produced one egg which is really weird for the doctor, you know, with polycystic ovarian syndrome, at least he thought he would grow a few more than one and it was barely mature. And so, um, we did not get pregnant at that time. And then, so we upped my, up to my medicine. I was taking like three shots a day. I think I was, um, you have to my medicine for the next cycle, but I produced too many, but he couldn't lower it. Like I wasn't, there was no in between, you know, it was like the next level up, but I produced too many to where they had to keep canceling cycles. And so he thought that I was, um, a good candidate for IVF at that time. And that was something that Daniel and I had talked about. I didn't know a lot about IVF before we had started, but that was something that we just didn't want to do. And it had nothing to do with religious reasons or anything like that. We just wanted to try to not go that route, not be so invasive. Right. We'll do IUI. We'll do some other things maybe. Um, But he didn't even like suggest IUI. He's like, we just probably need to go to IVF because on this medicine and I can't really tweak it anymore. You're like, you're producing too many. Um, and it would just be a good candidate for, for IVF. And I remember sitting in there for that consultation and, um, he kind of sold it to me like a used car salesman. He's like, well, if you are my daughter, you know, and he was like, 
throwing all these things at me. You're never getting pregnant, you know, doing it any other way. This is the surefire way for you to get pregnant. This is what we need to do. And I looked at my husband and I was like, sure, (laughs) like forget everything that we had talked about months before. And I was like, sure. And he looked at me and he was like, he's like, okay, you know, then that's what we'll go for. And I say that because first of all, I made that decision based out of fear. Yeah. And you should never make a decision based out of fear. You need to go back to what you felt like the Lord had spoke to you before. You need to go back to how you felt before and not make decisions based upon feelings or based upon fear. Like you take what the doctor gives you and you go home and you present it to the Lord because the doctor's only presenting you information and facts based upon what he knows from books, what he knows from other patients. But you are different. Everybody is different. And you need to go before the Lord and say, God, you know my body better than anybody. You know my future, obviously better than the doctor. So to just always take the doctor's advice, like you need to go home and pray and and, and seek other counsel of, of other people who are praying for you and, and your husband who is praying for you because they're the ones that are hearing from the Lord. You know, we didn't do that. And Daniel didn't do that. He just looked at me and thought she wants a baby, even though, and I didn't learn this until months later that he strongly did not want to do it. Mm. But he saw the look in my eyes. Mm. And I wish he would have stepped up and said something because at the time I thought, as soon as I said, yes, this is what we're going to do. We signed paperwork. We met with insurance people or whatever there was just something within me was like you really like you should really hold off for a second you know like this I didn't have complete peace about it I wanted a baby I wanted a baby yesterday and that was what was driving me but there was just something that just didn't feel right I don't like it it wasn't like it felt wrong it just didn't feel right something about just didn't feel right but we proceeded and we ended up doing um IVF and um we did that cycle April, May, 2012. And I did get pregnant and, um, but I miscarried a couple mm. weeks afterwards. Mm. That was hard. Look, I found out I was pregnant and, uh, and then I found, and then I, I hadn't crazy enough. I'd been planning to be pregnant for years, but I never knew how I was going to tell anybody. <laughs> like, so I was still in that preparation stage of like how I was going to tell my parents. Cause everybody knew I was kind of doing IVF, yeah. but, um, they weren't bugging me or asking me questions. Cause I don't think they understood like when the timing of everything was or whatever, which but, is um, helpful. When they huh? talk, so, which is normally helpful when they don't know. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, um, but I ended up having to tell my mom and my dad that I was pregnant and miscarried mm. all in the same sentence. Yeah. Like I had to tell them I was, but they didn't even know I was pregnant, you know? Yeah. And so, and so that was, that was hard. And I know like I wasn't that far along, but it's not, it's, it's like so many, like as soon as you see those two big lines, cause I was that person that took a test before. <laughs> I did my beta. I mean, as soon as you take, I mean, as soon as you see those tubing lines, it was like, I, I, I remember I was in our bathroom and I just, I just crumbled to the floor in tears because I thought, finally, it's over. Mm. You know, like, I can put all of that behind me. We can move forward. It worked. I had, like, all these plans and all these dreams and, and like, 
my Pinterest board was blowing up. My numbers were super high that because we transferred to the, the nurse even said something about twins. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I had it all planned out and, um, with, within, it's just like moments later. I mean, it wasn't, but I mean, I, I remember whenever, um, the nurse told me that, um, my pregnancy wasn't viable. It was over actually a phone call. Um, cause it was after we had done some tests and stuff that she's like, Oh, things just don't look right. But let me talk to the doctor type of a thing. And so she just called to warn me that, um, that I would probably most likely miss. I mean, I, I know exactly where I was. I, I, I remember the weather that day. I remember I was driving. I remember the exact where I was on a bridge, you know, and that's a bridge that I have to cross often. And I, I think about it. It's, it's like, a, it follows you. Yeah. Wow. So, but we have not. Um, been back to the RE since then, nothing against, you know, REs or IVF, but I knew at the time that it wasn't really something I wanted to do. And it was a couple of weeks after, um, everything had happened in May. Um, we were on our way back home from church and I was looking out of the window and I was crying, but trying not to let Daniel see that I was crying. And, uh, one of those kind of things, you know, we really weren't talking and I was just praying, I don't even know if you call it praying. I was just like thinking, what are we going to do next? Like, are we going to go back? Because as soon as I found out I was miscarrying, it was like immediately after I was like, well, when can we start again? Like, when can we do this again? Which I didn't have any, any embryos that froze. Apparently my eggs were so crappy that nothing made it. Mm. I think they retrieved like 29. Oh wow! Only two were able to be transferred and then none even made it. And obviously those two weren't that great either. Um, so I didn't know really where to go and what to do. And they were talking about PGS testing. And I was just kind of like praying to God, like, what do I do? And I remember exactly where I was in that moment too, because I, it's like, and people think I'm crazy. I think I'm crazy when I think about it sometimes, but I heard God say, you're going to have a son. And then I heard, and you're going to name him Josiah. And like, I, like before anybody else thinks I'm crazy, like I wasn't the type, like I have been born and raised in church. Like, that's like, but I did not have like a strong relation. Like we went to church, you know what I mean? Like, and, mm-hmm. and, and I prayed like in emergencies or I prayed before dinner, you know, but I didn't like right. have that strong grounded relationship with God to where like I heard him on a daily basis or even really at all. So whenever I heard that, I thought, Oh my goodness. Like, no, like I didn't hear that. Right. You know, like this, this, you know, and like I immediately started, Oh, well, let me back up before that. Whenever I was asking like, God and just thinking, what should we do next? I heard in my spirit not to go back for treatments. Mm-hmm. And, and then whenever I heard, then he said, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Josiah. Uh, immediately fear went into my head. I'm like, okay, first of all, you like, don't go back for treatments, but how am I supposed to have a son? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this, like, like immediately like mm-hmm. fear gripped me. And then I thought I am absolutely insane. Like I am not here. Like, the, the, like I am hormonally talking, you know what I mean? Like my hormones and my emotions are mm-hmm. clashing and I'm hearing things in my head. And so I didn't say anything to Daniel. We were still on our way home from church. And I thought, it was before I had a smartphone and he had one, I think, I don't know, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to look up the name Josiah. Like, this was my sign that I was going to tell myself if it means like Bigfoot or keeper of the home (laughs) or something stupid that I was just, like I said, I was going to chalk it up as my hormonal self talking, you know? And so like, we get home and I had like one of those like computers where you have to like turn it on and like dial up and everything. I felt like, so like I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm anxiously waiting and I type in, um, 
biblical meaning for Josiah. And I'm sitting there waiting and all these things are popping up and it means Jehovah healed. Mm. And as soon as I read that, like I knew like, that's when peace just washed over me. Like it's unexplainable. Like I've never had that kind of peace before. And I told Daniel and I told my cat <laughs> and I think I maybe had told my mom, but I didn't tell anybody else. Cause I didn't need anybody else jumping on my crazy train, you know? Yeah. And I ended up going to the doctor, like to Tamari, like a week later, I think by myself. Cause Daniel was out of town working for like, you know, like to discuss what's next. And I'd already decided I'm not going to do treatments anymore. I'm just going to go just to hear what he has to say and kind of break up, you know, like, yeah. this is going to be like our breakup meeting. And that was whenever we were sitting there and for the first time like, we were going over my test results from the IVF and he was looking at my eggs and he was basically telling me, he goes, your eggs are that of a 60 year old woman. He goes, there's just no way you will possibly get pregnant naturally. Mm-hmm. He goes, they're too old. He goes, and IVF with PGS testing. And he goes, and you might want to consider donor eggs. And I'm like, it was like all a blur from that point on because all the confidence that I had had left. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I started having this argument again with God in my head. I was like, why would like, like, why would you promise me something and then tell me not to seek treatments and here this man is telling me that this is the only way Mm-hmm. possibly that I could have a child. And I, I didn't really know a lot of my Bible stories, but I remembered um, in, in, in Romans where um, Abraham, mm-hmm. that he, he didn't um, trust in his own abilities. He trusted in God's abilities and, mm-hmm. and, he, and he trusted in his faithfulness. And I thought, you know what? It's not about my abilities. It's not about what my eggs can do. It's not about what my body can do. Mm-hmm. It's all about what God can do. And if God wants to do it and God says it, then it's as good as done. And so like, I, another piece washed over me. And after he was done, I got up, I shook his hand. I said, thank you. And I thought for sure, this is in 2014 or 2012. I thought for sure I was going to be bought back in like two months later with an ultrasound picture. And it was like, nana, nana, boo, boo. <laughs> and, um, as we know from my story, I didn't be bought back in mm. two months later and be bought back in a year later. And, um, after about a year, I was kind of tired of trusting God for it. Cause every month I was just as hopeful. You're like, this is going to be it. This is yeah. going to be it. And you promised it, God, this is happening, you know? And then a year didn't happen. I was on my way to church on a Friday night. It was chick night. They did this thing like once a month for, for women. And I was driving and I was crying and I was like, God, I can't like, I, I, I obviously heard you wrong. You know, like that was just me talking and dreaming. And I don't even know where I came up with the name Josiah because Josiah was not even in my top 1000 names. I was ever going to name my child, you know? So it wasn't like I, I came, like I already had that name, like right. possibly I was like, it's, it's weird. It's you, know, but I think I heard you wrong. I was like, I need something else. I was like, I, I don't need a song to come on the radio at the right time. I don't need somebody to give me a scripture. Like for some reason, like those were not going to work for me. You know, like mm-hmm. I need like a burning bush that says Alicia. I mean, I needed like a billboard sign that was flashing that was saying, again, Alicia, you're going to have a son named mm-hmm. Josiah. I was like, because I don't believe it anymore. And so I go to church and like I'm hanging on every word this woman is saying, like looking for a sign, you know, like, okay, God, like in the sermon, I don't even know what it was about. I don't even know what she preached about. Like it had nothing to do with my situation. I remember that. I'm like, well, I was a dud, you know, <laughs> Way and to go, God. Church, right? I was like, there was your opportunity, you know, and it was actually a church that I just started attending and I was sitting on the front row because my only other friend that was there sat on the front row. And I'm like, of course you do. And, um, and nobody, I had, didn't have my blog yet. Nobody knew about the name Josiah. Like I said, I not told a soul. And, um, 
the the praise and worship team was going up and the ministry team was going there, you know, they're closing for the night. And, um, I had my arms out, you know, like I was singing and praising, but the, really the whole time I'm thinking about is my PJs and watching 2020 when I get home. Like, I'm like, I just, it's been a rough day. I want to go home. I had my eyes closed. I had my hands out. And this woman who I'd never even met before comes up and puts her hand on my belly. <laughs> Immediately my eyes pop open and I'm thinking, woman, don't touch me. <laughs> like, I don't know you. And but I, I went ahead and closed my eyes and she began praying for my womb. She began praying for the desires of my heart mm. to be filled. And I started crying because I thought, this is it. You know, and then she stops in like mid-sentence. And I open up my eyes and right before I could say, no, 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 you're good. Keep going. You know, like, don't stop. She opens up her eyes and she blurted out without even thinking, you're going to have a son. And then she covers her mouth really fast. And then she, and then she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if that means anything to you. And I just started weeping because that was my burning bush. Like this woman didn't know me. I didn't have a blog. I didn't tell anybody about Josiah. I mean, like I said, it was Daniel and my cat, you know, and I think maybe my mom at the time, but we didn't talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was in 2013 or 14. And I've, I've, I've held on to that ever since. Sounds like Sarah, like every, every time, everything that you say, I just keep thinking like, that's what's like, Sarah was old. Her eggs, I'm sure were old. Yeah. Oh yeah. And <laughs> everything about that woman was old. Her tent was old. Her yeah. cows were old. Like, yeah. and you know, you know they kept I'm sure questioning. Abraham looked across at her from the tent and was like, girl, you old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and know, but... they tried to take it in their own hands at one time and it didn't work out. And I just, I keep hearing that. And yeah, they haven't, there's a nation like. If you are, right. if you, if you are a follower of Christ, you, you trace your lineage back to him. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, um, will you keep, has it happened in my time frame? No, no. no. Um, does my situation point to the fact, cause I don't ovulate still, does it point to the fact that it's going to, you know, no, nothing, nothing about my natural says I'm going to get pregnant, mm-hmm. but God doesn't work in the natural. Yeah. You know, he works in the supernatural. Alicia found out 10 years ago that she had PCOS and has been on this journey ever since. In the next episode, she's going to share more about what God has done in her heart and her ministry. So go ahead and hit that play button on the next episode.